Uh, and I wanted to start just by telling you guys a quick story. So when I was, gosh, when I first got out of college, one of the first things I did was I was a youth pastor for about four years. And one of my favorite things about this job is we did something called a father-son trip. And so on this job, um, on this trip, we took eighth graders going into their freshman years of high school, and it was over the summer. It was kind of like a coming-of-age trip. Their dads came with them. It was really cool, uh, really talking about what it looked like to take, take their faith seriously. But one of the best things about the trip was their dads were with them, so we could do way crazier stuff than you could normally do, right, at a, a youth group event. So we took them all the way to West Virginia in the middle of nowhere, and one of the, the things that we did, we went spelunking. Does anybody know what spelunking is? Anybody? What is it? Cave, yeah. So yeah, you're exploring caves. Spelunking sounds way worse. It just sounds kind of gross to me, but that's what it's called. So we went spelunking in the middle of nowhere in West Virginia, and it was this huge cave opening, like 20, 20 feet either, you know, in diameter of a cave, and there is a creek just running through this thing. And so we walked this whole cave, explored it. You just have your headlamp on. And the craziest thing about this cave that we explored is it's a mile long underground. So you're walking in this ice-cold creek for a mile underground. The water's freezing because you're underground. Uh, and it's pitch black, like the darkest place you've ever been because if you turn your, your headlamp out, you can't see anything. It's nuts. Um, and the craziest thing about this cave is at the end of it, the creek water pools together and the only way out is either walking the mile back out or you have to swim out. And it's like pretty intense, right? Because the water pools enough where you can't touch the ground. And depending on how much it's rained that week, uh, it gets pretty close to the top. So there's not that much space for your head. And the water's so cold because you're underground, your heart uh, like skips a beat when you get in the water for the first time. Like you have to adjust your lungs. Um, like struggle to breathe for a second. So again, not super safe. I wouldn't do this trip again. But we go on this cave and it's nuts. And I've done it a couple times. But the last year I did it, it, it was just the craziest thing ever. It had rained a ton that week. The water was the coldest it's ever been, highest it's ever been. And I was just miserable. And of this swim out, it's about 60 yards. So it's not like a totally like really short swim. It's a pretty long swim. And you can't see the exit of the cave while you're swimming. It kind of is like a candy cane. So you get to this kind of curve at the end of the swim, and then you can see the light at the end of this cave shining through. But the last time I was doing it, I was swimming, and I was miserable, and I was like having trouble breathing because the water was so cold. And I was going last because I was like a good leader, making sure none of these kids got left in this cave. Uh, but the kid in front of me was kicking, splashing water in my face. And I was like, guys, I'm not, I might not make it. Like, this is awful. I don't know if I'm going to get out of here. And right when I was at my deepest misery, I got to the end of the, the curve of the swim out. And I just saw the, the glimmer, the glisten of light coming through. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've made it. Thank you, God. Like, I, I'm going to survive this. I had energy again, uh, started kicking, got out, was so excited to be warm. And I, I tell you that because that's kind of what the end of Jeremiah is like, where it's miserable, it's this dark cave, there's 
huge wrath, punishment for sin. It doesn't feel like there's any hope. And as we get to chapter 52, there's this hope, this glisten of light coming through the darkness. It's even why Alex has given us this just really beautiful graphic of, well, not that. Hold on, go back. Go back. All right, so this plant growing. Sorry, Scott. Thank you, Scott, for doing my slides, by the way. So this beautiful plant growing in the desert, right? There is there is hope in the midst of just like a, a hopeless situation. And so that's really what Jeremiah is concluding in today. And so what, what I want to do is a lot of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 50 through, through 52, is it's kind of a recap of the whole book of Jeremiah. So what I want to do is really go over three main themes of Jeremiah and some of that's going to be in 52, uh, but just to go over and remember what God is teaching us through this book. So here are three main themes here. First, God punishes evil. Second, God keeps his word. And third, God is faithful even when we are not. Even when we're not. God punishes evil, God keeps his word, and God is faithful even when we are not. And so we're going to start with this first one, God punishes evil. It comes from Jeremiah 52, verses 2 and 3, and it's about King Zedekiah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, it had come to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them out from his presence. And so one of the main themes in Jeremiah is that God actually punishes sin. That he, that he takes it seriously, that at the end of the day, there, there, there will be consequence as, as we rebel against God. That's the, all of, uh, a lot of what the prophet Jeremiah is saying is, hey, turn back to the Lord. There will be consequences as you continue to run and rebel against him. And it, that's, guys, that's a hard thing for us to hear in our culture, that sin is serious, that it matters, that God punishes evil. But that is one of the main themes of scripture. It's one of the main themes of Jeremiah. And, and he's uh, prodding us, but also uh, the people of Judah to take seriously their sin and turn back to God. That's, that's what he wants us to get. And it's from God's character that he takes sin seriously. And if we're honest, we love that God is just. We love when he punishes other people's sin, when they've wronged us, that it, that it matters to them, that he holds them accountable. But we don't love it when he does it with us, right? We don't want God to, to judge our sin and our evil and hold us accountable. But Jeremiah, it's this overarching theme. God takes sin seriously. He punishes evil. Reoccurring all the way through, that's what God does. And so, um, we, just even what I want to encourage us in is part of what God wants us to do from his word here is that we need to take our sin more seriously. That we need to, to wrestle with, does my sin, uh, do I actually take my sin seriously? Do I actually, do I blow it off or do I understand how much God cares about these things? And I, one of the things I love about Old Testament prophets like this is we can look back on how God is actually long-suffering with us. That he's long-suffering with Israel, that he sees their sin. And it's not like God is just waiting for our, us to mess up and just like crack the whip. It's not like God is just like throwing thunderbolts at us every time we mess up. But God is long-suffering that God's goal with us 
is for us to repent, for us to turn back to him, to, to turn to relationship with him. And yet at the end of the day, God will hold us accountable that he will punish sin. And again, part of God's heart is why he punishes sin, and you see this in the book of Jeremiah, is so that we turn back to him. That his desire is that we would run back to him and not run away from him. There's some, there's some studies, and it's, it's been pretty confirmed, that uh, what is true of us is that we become like our, our, our five closest friends. Like we're the sum of those people. I've done, done a ton of studies. If you examine, this is kind of fun to think about. If you think about your five closest friends uh, and the studies they've done, they've said, I'll be able to tell a lot about who you are by those five closest friends. So for example, if your five closest friends, they all go to the gym, they're working out, they're in pretty good shape, they'll say, hey, then, then I can determine that's, that's probably who you are. Right? And, and if you, all your five closest friends, they read the Bible every day, they're following Jesus really hard, they go to church regularly, they'd say, hey, I would be, it'd be pretty obvious that that would be true of you as well. And it works for the opposite, right? If you're not in good shape, you eat fast food every single day, uh, or, or your friends do, then that's going to be true of you as well. And why I say that is because part of why God wants our obedience is because our obedience shows what our relationship with him is like. All right, so obedience doesn't make us right with God. We know that. That doesn't, that doesn't make God like us anymore. It doesn't mean that we're, we're good because we, we've obeyed God. But our obedience shows our relationship with him. Right, just like you are like your friends, if we are pursuing a relationship with God, it will produce obedience in us because we're pursuing him. All right, so God wants our obedience. He wants a good relationship with us. And as we have that, it will produce obedience, not sin, not running away from him. A pastor I, uh, I used to go to his church in Illinois, he used to say this. Uh, he would say, if you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. If you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. Which, again, it sounds really harsh, right? I mean, like very few of us would maybe say that out loud. But the reality is this. We, we need to think through, how does the Bible actually define sin? It's that God defines sin, or, or defines what is right like a straight line. Of this is what's good. This is what God has created you for. This is what holiness is. This is what righteousness is. It's this straight line. Sin is missing the mark. It means going away from what that line is, stepping out of that line. But if what, what God said is, is good, righteous, what we were created for is this, and sin is anything else, then the definition of sin has to be that it is bad for us, that it's not good for us, that it will have consequences. And so there is just this reality. As we run from God... As we sin against him, as we don't obey him, there are consequences. And again, that is one of the main themes in the book of Jeremiah. There are consequences. God punishes sin. And some of that, as you see in Jeremiah, is for the the purpose of pulling people back to God, for them to repent and believe. But some of that also is just natural consequences for sin. As we do what God has called us not to do, what he hasn't created us for, there's natural consequences for that. And so there, there's this God punishes sin, God punishes evil. And, and one of the things Jeremiah wants us to get from that is that we need to take sin and our actions and obedience seriously 
from God. The second uh, theme here is God keeps his word. And this is, I I don't want to read for us all of Jeremiah 52. Uh, Most of it is a recap of what you've already learned, especially in Jeremiah 39. But what happens in Jeremiah 52 is this punishment that God has promised in the Old Testament in Jeremiah has happened, right? He gives them a chance to repent, to put their faith in him and obey him, and they don't do it. Excuse me, in the outpouring of those consequences happen. So if you remember, I think Alex taught on this, Zedekiah is the last king in Judah and he's overthrown by the king of Babylon because of his continued rebellion. He's captured, his kids are captured, killed in front of him, and then they remove his eyes so that he's, the last thing he sees are his kids' death. Like it's brutal, right? Consequences for sin. Uh, but, but what God is highlighting here about his character is that he keeps his word. If you look at the rest of Jeremiah 52, it's not just that the king's overthrown, the temple's destroyed, the vessels that they used to worship God in the temple were removed to Babylon, the people were brought into exile. Um, And all of that, all of that has been promised in the Old Testament prior to Jeremiah and in Jeremiah, that God keeps his word, that he's faithful And part of it is uh, that's helpful to know here is that uh, Israel and Judah, they're a part of the Mosaic Covenant right now. I know we've talked a little bit about covenants in this series, but a covenant is a promise of God. All right, it's it's God saying, this is how I, who I am. This is how I'll act with my people in this time period, right? So the Mosaic Covenant is a covenant of blessing and curses, And what God says to his people, he says, this is who I am and this is how I'll act with you. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I'll curse you. And that's what Israel Israel and Judah are functioning under in Jeremiah. And so I just want to read for you Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 and 6 to show you kind of the covenant that Israel has made with God and why God is responding the way he is in Jeremiah. But he says this in verse one. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all the commandments that I've commanded you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations, all the nations of the earth. If you jump to verse 15 here, it says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So he says, hey, if you do what I've commanded you if, you, if you really see that I'm your God and follow me, I will bless you. I'll, I will bless you above all other nations. But if you don't, I will curse you. And then he lists off the consequences. Some of that is that they will be overrun by other nations, exile. As you get to Jeremiah, it says that the vessels of the temple will be taken out when it's overthrown. Uh, all of these promises or all of these consequences we see in Jeremiah 52 is to show that God keeps his word, that, that God's dependable. And it's bad in this scenario, right? Because what he's dependable in is when he warns you about consequences for sin, he will follow through. But what we need to know about what God is revealing is that God is dependable, that that's who God's character is. And that matters because God can't be God unless he's trustworthy, unless he does what he says, unless his word means something and he follows through. It's an important characteristic of who God is. 
And so I want you to think of God as this character, the Energizer Bunny. Does anybody, I mean, come on, that looks pretty good. I was proud of myself because of the lighting behind it. I just think it looks good in the background. All right, just me. Anybody know what the catchphrase for this commercial is? Anybody? Oh, come on. Am I just old? Do these have these commercials anymore? Yeah, what do you got? Keeps going and going. And so that's, I, I, this kind of sounds sacrilegious, but I want you to think of God like the Energizer Bunny because what does he do, right? He, he keeps going. He is going to be who he is. Just like Energizer batteries, they don't run out. That's what they're trying to say. God is who he is. He's not going to run out of, of being dependable, keeping his word, his faithfulness. That is who God is. And so we need to take sin seriously because God is just, he's holy, this is who God is, he's going to punish sin, but the end of Jeremiah transitions and says, yeah, God is, is dependable and punishes sin, but he's dependable to keep his word about the hope that he's given us as a people as well. And so that's where Jeremiah 52 begins to transition and end. And it's this third theme that God is faithful even we're not, right? Israel and Judah have failed. They've broken the Mosaic covenant. They have not done a good job. God should punish them. But how Jeremiah 52 ends, it's to give them hope that God has not abandoned us, even if he should. And so I want to read for us Jeremiah 52, uh, verses 31 through 34. This is the very last section of Jeremiah, a very weird way to end the book, but let me read it for us. And in the 37th year of exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month of the 25th day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's, king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs until the day of his death, as long as he lived. And so if, if you're like me, the first time I read this, I was like, why is this in the Bible? And I, like, what is, what is the point of this? But Part of what we need to remember is we're not Israelites. Israelites would have known the Old Testament scriptures a lot better than most of us do, right? And so in the back of their mind, what they're thinking about is a promise that God made them earlier, that God promised to have um, King David's, one of King David's sons rule on his throne forever. And what has happened when Judah was overthrown, Judah is the line of David, uh, the king's removed, the king's not on the throne, and, and David's line is in danger of ending and the promises of God not being fulfilled. And so why this is in here, which it seems so weird, this, this king is freed, what God is saying is that there is hope. I have not abandoned you. And it reminds me of this movie clip I want to show for you. Have you guys seen Dumb and Dumber? Or am I just really old? All right, just me and Dave, because we're 30. All right, cool, all right. What? They call you Big Papa? I don't know. You're not Biggie Smalls. All right. So, 
But that's kind of what it's like, right? There's, it's one in a million chance. It seems like there's no hope for Israel and Judah. God, God has punished them. They've been exiled. And yet God said, no, no, there's hope. There's a glimmer of hope in the darkness. I have not abandoned you. You failed, but I will accomplish what I've said. I will accomplish what I've done. And so I want to read for you that passage of what he's promised in 2 Samuel 7, uh, 12 and 13. It says this, and this is a promise to King David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for you an offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so as the, the people of Judah and Israel read this in Jeremiah, they say, oh, God's doing that. He hasn't, he hasn't forgotten this promise to us, his people. The king, the, the throne of David will last forever. God has a plan here. And what Jeremiah is also alluding to is just these promises, um, even ones that you've covered um, earlier in this series. I'm thinking about Jeremiah 31. Let me see if I can flip to it. 31, 31 through 33. Just this hope in the midst of darkness. This is what would have been in the back of their mind as well. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Sorry, I lost it. My covenant I broke, though I was there, thank you, um, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. For all those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so again, this is a promise that God has spoken through Jeremiah, and it's in the back of their mind. How is this going to be true if we're utterly cut off as a nation and and, and and he gives them this glimmer of hope. And so part of what I, I want you to understand, I want you to picture this, even like the story I told at the beginning of the cave, it's total darkness, but there's a glistening of light through it. They had hope to last, that God would fulfill his word, that he will keep his promises, that he will be faithful even when we have not been faithful. And so what, what's really cool is we're on the other side of that. We've seen that glitter of hope, that light shining through the darkness, totally be revealed and that's in Jesus that Jesus is this promised son of David who will rule on his throne forever the promised Messiah he is the bringer of the new covenant of Jeremiah 31 that he's he's made a way for people not to be right with God through the Mosaic covenant based on our obedience but based on his obedience that whoever puts our faith in him and his death and resurrection will be forgiven saved brought to new life and so we've seen this, gl this glimmer of light, this glimmer of hope be revealed, and it's incredible. I want to read for you real quick this quote from Charlie D uh, Dyer. He says this, The Lord will always keep his word. He will do exactly what he's promised, and he's always righteous. We, like the remnant of Judah, are awaiting the coming of our King Messiah to fulfill the good words he's promised. And so we've seen part of it, right? We've experienced the glimmer of this salvation and this hope. But, but maybe you are, are also feeling what some of the, the, the people of Judah felt in Jeremiah, right? The cost of our own sin. We still live in a sinful world. The sin of our nation, the sin of our world. 
and it might feel hopeless. Life might feel like that, that cave I described earlier where you're like, oh, man, this is miserable. What hope do we have? And what I want to encourage you, and I think what God wants to do through Jeremiah is just like they had this glimmer of hope, we have more. We've seen Jesus. His salvation has come for us, but yet we have that glimmer of hope of Christ is not done, that his word promises us that he's coming back. And so just like a Judah was longing for, for God to, to come and to fix what was happening, we too can look to him and have hope and say, God is not done. We've seen what he's done through Jesus and Christ will return and make all things new. And so guys, we can have hope because of these three themes that God gives us in Jeremiah. We can have hope because God punishes evil, because God keeps his word, not just for sin, not just to punish sin, but also for his faithfulness and for the hope that he's given us. God is faithful even when we are not. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you uh, so much for tonight. I pray that you would just encourage us through your word, that you would remind us that we have hope, that we have light in the midst of darkness. And God, I pray that you would convict us of that, that you would, these themes of of Jeremiah, that you would have it uh, prick our hearts, that we would take sin seriously. I pray that you would do that in me. I pray that you would do that in all of us, that we would not take sin lightly that we would remember that you are faithful, dependable, you do what your word says, and we've seen so many examples of it. And God, you are faithful when we're not. We cannot uphold uh, uh, perfect righteousness on our own, but you have done it for us. And so, God, help me help all of us to cling to you and hope in you because you are light in the midst of darkness. Pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.